three, two, one, roll the footage. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Simon Severino, your host. My guest today is part of the elite team of astronomers and mathematicians finding out where the ninth planet of our solar system is based on calculating gravity forces. That is how Pluto was found, by calculating. And they are calculating where the ninth planet of the solar system is right now. Forbes calls him the next physics rock star. He's also a professor at California Institute of Technology, and he's an entrepreneur. Welcome, everybody, Constantine Batigin. Hey, Simon. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So cool to have you here. We will talk why you are moving to planet nine after you calculate where it is, then what mm -hmm. the natural language generation is, and how AI is changing our life. So let's start with... Planet Nine. Well, let's do it. Did you, did you calculate it already where it is? So look, with to give a short answer, right? You're about to send me on a 45 minute colloquium uh, of the mathematical formulation, but to give the short answer, uh, we can calculate its orbit, we can calculate its mass with pretty good precision, um, but we can't figure out where it is on its orbit. That's not really because there's something wrong uh, with us in this sense. It's because the fundamental gravitational mode through which Planet Nine shapes the patterns that we see in the small body of the solar system only reacts to its overall shape of the orbit, to its overall mass. It does not care where it is on the on the orbit itself. So it's something that's basically uh, impossible to calculate with the data that we have in hand. So if, if anybody's thinking, what are the eight planets? We start from the sun. We have Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and then planet number nine. And uh, you want to, to live there. Why? Uh, you know, the, like the, the rent's getting kind of expensive on Earth. Right. I'm always looking for for new, you know, new opportunities. Right. Like, you know, flights are getting expensive. Inflation is up. Right. All of these things are not problems on Planet Nine. But, you know, of course, uh, you know, jokes aside, of course, Planet Nine is like, you know, the temperature is probably something on the order of 40 Kelvin. Right. Which is, I know, something like minus 230 Celsius. So it's a little chilly. You know, it's a little on the on the cold, cooler side. I wouldn't survive ten minutes as an Italian there. And you are also <laughs> a musician and an entrepreneur and a professor. How do you keep sane with all these creative endeavors? Well, to, I guess the answer is I don't. I keep insane all the time. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's a big overlap between the scientific pursuit, the entrepreneurial pursuit, and, and the artistic pursuit, right? If you're going to be a good scientist, first of all, right, the first thing, kind of, the first assumption that you have to uh, get comfortable with is that you're going to be wrong most of the time, right? And you're going to have to be okay with that, right? You have to kind of not be scared to fail, right? And, and being an entrepreneur, right, you 
have to have the same kind of you know mindset, right? Um, you also kind of have to have. I think uh, if I if I'm I'm gonna maybe make myself sound not so awesome, uh, but I think you have to have a little bit of an internal arrogance, right? You have to believe in that the ideas that that you have uh, have the chance of panning out. Right and being better than than what's what's out there, right? And I think every scientist has to have that, that little bit of that internal arrogance, uh, really, to walk into a, a you know a field and say, "All right, I'm going to figure something out that no one has ever done before," right? Um, and and then finally, you know, you have to you have to be creative, and that creativity overlaps so much with. Doing music, doing art. I'm not good at art at all. I'm, I can't draw uh, anything. I can barely draw a straight line. But you know, with music, it's that same kind of uh, process of turning an idea into, you know, something more into a song, arranging a song. There's a huge parallels with with how we do uh, science and really how we build a company. I love this, and and aren't all entrepreneurs like this because they go something is not right here. This cannot be the best way of doing this, right? And then we go, right. well, let me try. Maybe, maybe we can do it like this, and then we just exactly. go and do it, right? That's the arrogance, if you want. Uh, we 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 don't think that that we have to stop just because people aren't doing it that way. That doesn't stop us. We think, okay, let me try. Maybe they just they just didn't try. I completely agree, and I think that one of the most common you know, common explanations for why not that I've ever, that I, that I hear, you know, not, you know, not just in academia, but just broadly is, look, we've always done it this way, right? And to me, that, that never sounded like a good explanation, just because you've always done something this way, right? I mean, if you look at Memorable. the yeah, right, history of humankind, there have been long periods of doing something in a certain way that were, you know, that we at one point realized and had a cognitive leap that, wait a minute, like, let's, let's do it a, a better way, right? Uh, so I think that really the, uh, the whole Enlightenment era was, was exactly that uh, cognitive leap. And I love it that you integrate all of these perspectives in yourself, musician, entrepreneur, scientist, and because I work with entrepreneurs and sometimes they get stuck in their industry. Like they, mm -hmm. they optimize one thing in one way. And then they ask me, Simon, can you help with sales? And I go, have you tried this? And they go, wow, that's a genius idea. And I go, it's not a genius idea. That other industry does it all the time. You just didn't look mm -hmm. outside of your system. But I am in 12 industries every week. I see different systems. So it's easy. And in 14 countries. So it's easy to see something from another angle. So right. you incorporate those different angles just basically inside yourself. Your music informs your calculations. Your science informs your music. What about your band? Tell us about your musical life. Yeah, so my musical life, you know, I've had, I've been playing in my band for, uh, I don't know, 20 years now. We've put out a couple albums. Uh, we actually are putting out two more very soon. One just got finished. Like I just got the, the final mastering of the full album, the, the final like cuts. And, you know, they, they sound 
they sound pretty good. I'm really, really excited. And then the the other album, which is currently in the mixing stage, um, it's it's an earlier album that we're finishing later. Uh, that one is also pretty good. So we'll have a pretty good one and a really good one uh, coming out. <laughs> real and uh, you know, it's it's so much fun, right? It's so much fun. It's it's something that keeps me, you know, keeps me keeps the insanity to a minimum, right? Because I think that, you know, rock and roll is like one of the greatest creations, right, of, of humankind, right? There, there's no, at least for me, there's no other music that resonates quite as as much. And uh, I don't know, I just feel better. I feel saner after we play, right? And then I can go back to my, you know, daily existence for a little while until we play again. And, and uh I was actually just having a conversation with um, with the drummer in our band, John. Uh, you know, we, we write together, uh, we write music together, and I was like, hey "Man, like, do you think there will ever come a time where you can stop writing, right?" Uh, and and he was like, "Absolutely not, right? It's something internal, right? Something internal that um, just keeps you going." Um, and it's not clear why, but it is some, it is a part of you. You meet so many cool people every week. I am curious about who you nominate for the Strategy Award after one word from our sponsors. What if your business would run well even when you are on vacation? Discover how 1,600 business owners have regained their freedom using the Strategy Sprint's blueprints. How they enjoy living their dream and watching their business scale. Get the exact checklists they use to go from stressed to fulfilled using the Strategy Sprints method. Order your copy of Strategy Sprints 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business on Amazon today. And if you love it, leave us a review. For more information, head over to strategysprints.com. When everybody zigs, these people are zagging. But from your perspective, they are doing the right thing. You can pick only one person. Who do you pick? Oof, oh man, this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting because I have uh, I have more than a single person in mind. Um, but you know, for this one, uh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna choose. Hmm, how about Noah from Noah from NFT uh, Brands Inc. Okay, so uh, NFT Brands is a company that uh, just started very recently, and uh, their their CEO Noah Lowell is uh, is an interesting guy, and uh, he has created a company which uh, which kind of uh, takes that the whole NFT uh, NFT ecosystem and does the obvious thing. Right, which is, I mean, if you come in, you want some NFTs made for you, they will make them for you, and uh, you know, kind of skip over the technical steps, right? And I think that this is this is such a uh, obvious thing to to do. While as the that kind of NFT ecosystem goes more complex in terms of technical, uh, right? It's uh, it's real clever. So I nominate Noah. Thank you. And 
What is natural language generation and why do we need that? Yeah, natural language generation is the process of getting the computer to basically pass the Turing test, to write text that is indistinguishable from that of a human being. Um, now, there is, there's many kinds of, of natural language generation. There are many algorithms to do this, but I'm really excited about this whole field right now okay? because I've, been, I've had an interest um, in viewing how the, the, computer, the computer's ability to speak evolves. And what I have seen is that over the last really five years, it's, it's, like, you know, it's like going from a bicycle to you know, a spaceship, right? Um, the advent of these large, what are called transformer models over the last few years is really completely changing uh, changing the game, changing the ability of computers to write language. And, uh, and it's a huge revolution, right? Language, I think, is one of the greatest, it'll be one of the greatest industries uh, in the coming decade. I, I, I really believe it, right? Because language is so central to our entire society, right? I mean, it's not just the fact that you and I are understanding one another right now, right? It's the fact that we operate Sandy operates in a uh, in a mode where we trade documents, right? That are not always exciting to read, but they have to be there. Think about all the legal briefs, all of the like instructions. All just everything comes in document form. So, getting an AI boost to help with that to kind of like reshape that document ecosystem is going to be huge. And what are specific applications that you can share with our with our audience that you see either working or soon working? Yeah, so the first one that um, we've solved at Lucinetic is letters of recommendation. This sounds weird because like when I tell people about letters of recommendation that are outside of academia, they're like, huh? Isn't that like from 45 BC where people used to do that, right? Uh, but the fact is, letters of recommendation have grown into approximately a, you know, $6 billion market. Okay, and this is a, not, not a top-down. This is like a bottom-up calculation, right? The, the, the actual amount of, the actual kind of impact they have is closer to 30 billion but if you just look at you know the addressable market it's six billion dollars so what we've done is we've created a model which kind of interacts with you and helps you write a letter of recommendation why is this important in academia right anytime you apply for anything that is if you apply as a high school student apply for a university as a university student, you apply for, I don't know, some award. As a, you apply for graduate school, you apply for, the, for a job. Every action, every move, right, in the academic ecosystem demands three to five letters of recommendation that accompany that move. And the med medical school cycle demands 10. So you can kind of quickly do the order of magnitude calculation in, uh, in the back of your mind and quickly see how this is an unscalable system. As more and more people you know, globally go through school, grow, go through education, 
right? It's it's come to a point where between the months of August and January, all that you know, university professors are doing are writing letters of recommendation. We've basically reduced the time that it takes to write one to, you know, from something like an hour and a half to just a few minutes. That's cool. And that's your company. When did you start your company? You know, we started the company. So we just incorporated uh, recently, uh, I guess, in January. We started the company already over the summer and we kind of developed an MVP, right? We took a uh, a somewhat different approach from what I think a lot of uh, early stage, you know, AI companies do, which is that we didn't go for money right away. We actually first developed a working, you know, model, a working product, not just to convince ourselves that this is going to be, uh, this is going to work out, but also to kind of, break into the market with a with a functioning thing right instead of going through the usual raise the pre-seed then spend it on research raise a seed you know like make an mvp uh cycle so you know we are kind of nearing our launch window right so we're launching the whole thing in uh this summer and it's been really really exciting because you know it's a little different from astrophysics um, but it's it's also really cool, right? And it's it's been a great time, and I I've been you know kind of really excited to also work with the people that we've had come on board. I mean, we had our co-founders uh, have been lifelong friends uh, of mine, but also the the other people that have joined, you know, the group that has joined the company are all really really fantastic so it's been great what was the thought process and the discussion between you hey let's not take money from the outside hey let's bootstrap what were what were what was the discussion what were the pros and cons yeah i mean the obvious you know the obvious con of course is when you have money from the outside that gives you kind of a little bit more fuel to travel faster right but at the early stage we thought listen what we need to do is not do what everybody else is doing, which is just throw more, you know, CPUs at the problem or throw more data at the problem. Let's try and figure out our own algorithm, right? How do we break the limitations of natural language processing that exists right now and develop an algorithm that writes text that's indefinitely long? Because that's crucial. Right, right now, the existing models, like if you go to everybody, I'm sure has heard of GPT-3, right? okay, OpenAI's GPT-3 engine, and it's really, you know, a fantastic model, but it's limited in the length of text that it can generate. It'll generate kind of coherent text for a few sentences, and then it'll start to deviate or get stuck in a loop or, or kind of do these things. So we're like, how do we convince a model to, to do it like a human does, right? With kind of a storytelling built into the natural language processing. And the the first, you know, really half a year we spent developing the, the model, you know, as you would a, with a scientific project, right? Start with something simple and figure out the, the kind of, you know, take a reductionist approach, figure out what are the moving pieces, what, how do we build? And, uh, and it was 
it was cool. Uh, so we've we figured out the model, and it's now kind of at a at a scalable point. So now that we are, you know, we are closing our pre-seed kind of at the end of the month, I think we're coming at it from you know really a point of strength because uh, there's a there's already a battle tested you know code that does what we right what we envision. So uh, yeah. It was never, there was never really arguments there. What was the hardest thing in, in the first in the first half a year? You know, uh, I would say yeah, it's just like it's not easy building a company, right? Generically, right? And um, I, I think for me there was there was really uh, nothing too too hard. All the hardship fell on the CEO. Right, Olga, my wife, right? So she is, uh, you know, really driving this project. Me, me and uh, Greg and, and our other co-founder and you know, other crew are kind of more on the technical side. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's figuring out, A, how to, you know, how to run a business from, from scratch, and B, uh, really, it's just the, the physical exhaustion, right, of having, you know, a million things happening all at once and uh and and kind of keeping up on them the good news is i i've known olga you know for 22 years and i and i know that she more than has the uh the arsenal to kind of like get this done so uh you know like i said the what was that conversation darling i want to make, start a business with you and then, well, but are you sure it's a good idea? <laughs> you know, um, that, that was that was definitely one conversation we had, but it, it really evolved more organically. Like, you know, we started my uh, my friend Greg, who's the third co-founder of the company, and I, we started talking about making this model at first for us, just to use you know between the two of us to help us write letters of recommendation, help, help us like create long form documents. But also, we were like, uh, when we realized that there's kind of economic potential there, we also simultaneously realized that, uh, you know, neither one of us, uh, being kind of more on the technical side, is the right person to lead this company. And it was actually Greg who uh, brought this up. Greg's like, look, why don't we tear Olga away from her job and, you know, see if she'd be interested. And so we, and Olga was like, at, at first, I was like, okay, this all sounds extraordinary in theory, but can you show me a working, you know, can you, can you show me how it works, right? And, uh, and Olga is also amazing in that, you know, she was a microbiologist uh, originally, so her background is not in artificial intelligence, but, you know, she's really smart and she just kind of was able to very quickly figure out how it works. Uh, you know, we took kind of a, and then, uh, you know, she got really excited about it. And then it was just exponential from there, right? Like once Olga's energy got injected into this, it was, you know, the train was leaving the tracks. <laughs> what are you excited about looking forward? Where do you see um, your business in three years? 
you know, I'm I'm actually really excited about the upcoming pivots that we're going to do because uh, or not not so much pivots, but branching out, because I think we have figured out how to do academia at this point. Right. We know the kind of products we will be, you know, building looking forward. Um, but I'm excited about applying this technology to the career cycle generally. Right. Um, and and kind of helping you know, really helping reimagine how people apply for jobs. Uh, There's a remarkable statistic, right? Which, which is that if you count up how many, how many, like, you know, uh, job applications come with a cover letter, it's something like 36%, right? But then if you ask how many people that get hired, get, had a, um, you know, cover, well-written cover letter, uh, attached to their application, it's 89%, mm-hmm. right? So that, that simple process of having a well-written cover letter, right, is a, is a huge economic burden, right? And that kind of, it's, again, it's one of these weird things that, you know, you don't always think of a cover letter as being something particularly sexy. But, you know, when you think about the overall, like, job market, right, that's what's happening, right? And so that alone is like, a, you know, uh, solving that problem is, is interesting. And then down the line, of course, you know, the possibilities really are endless because we can solve all long form text, right? Think about the stupidest documents that you had to write that are not interesting, but you have to do with them because, uh, you know, you're a business owner, right? Imagine just getting that done in like a second instead of, you know, having go, to go through it, right? It's, it's going to be huge. You know what's funny? Uh, at Strategy Sprints, we get around 40 applications, job applications per week. Mm-hmm. And we, we have turned into asking them for a video mm-hmm. because, because first it was customer-facing roles. So we said, all right, you can write, but right. I, I want to see you talk. I want to see you convince me because there were roles where they have to convince anybody, sales roles. So send us right. a video about these two questions. And one question was obvious and one was a little bit tricky to see how they do it. And um, I don't know if that's, it, if that's a trend or if, if, if it depends on roles. But usually when I get a script, I go like, okay, that's fine. But I want to feel you. I want to I wanna see your energy, how you, how you solve problems. So send me a video. Did you see this, this kind of trend also happening? In in a subset of uh, of industries, yes, I think in, in very forward is absolutely, and this goes back to, I mean, uh, I, I think th- this is uh, this is an obvious right. This is an obvious thing to do, and uh, weirdly, what comes to mind is I remember when I was in high school. Okay, there were the a bunch of my friends uh, who were cheerleaders were like trying to get cheerleading scholarship and there you had to send in a video of you know and it was a similar thing where it was like you know only about 90 seconds long it was all about how excited you are to to be a cheerleader or whatever um you know so i think that there are roles where that's appropriate i don't think that that's going to be the kind of terminal the, the terminal point of this i think the terminal point of this will instead be um, you know, AI 
basically helping you write and then an AI on the other side helping you read, right? Because um, at the end of the day, right, if, you, if you're talking about 40 applications, 40 applicants, and each one makes a, you know, 10 minute video, that's a pretty pretty large chunk of your time uh, to watch. Uh, maybe you're like, well, yeah, I have to watch these things for, for three hours a day. Uh, but uh, I think that you know, closing the loop with AI on on one side and the other side is actually going to be the more the terminal uh, location. And the third thing that you 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 wanted to talk about is how ai is changing our world in an entrepreneurial world and and our lives uh how do you see ai changing how we do things yeah i mean i think that it's uh it has already that 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 you know shift has already begun right half the time we're like i called an insurance company the other day and i spent my uh, you know, first 10 minutes talking to a computer and it was actually great. I actually really enjoyed the conversation I had with the computer uh, almost more than the... Uh, Finally, you know, the they get me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, right, so so I think that so uh, and artificial intelligence the will, I mean, first of all, already has made an impact, but it will continue to sort of, um, you know, creep into jobs that are, that are menial, right. That are not, uh, that are kind of, uh, ripe for, for disruption. I think that when it comes to, right, when it comes to language, which is what I'm most interested in on the AI side, we've already seen the negative effects that artificial intelligence can have, right. Um, you can easily, right. You, you don't have to like, even read the news, you just have to be alive to know that social media and kind of disinformation campaigns have had that negative impact on our society. It's unequivocal. And outsourcing that to, um, you know, artificial intelligence, which never writes, never gets writer's block, never gets tired, right? That already is, has had a uh, negative impact. So what to, what to do? I think the thing to do is to say, okay, there's there's clearly you know potential for for uh, evil here, but how do we you know just like you know thinking about uh, I don't know thermonuclear weapons, right? How do we turn that idea into instead doing fusion and you know generating energy in completely peaceful applications? So how do we you know take this train that's leaving the station and steer it into an ethical direction? Right. How do we make sure that uh, and the text that uh, artificial intelligence comes up with is sensible, ethical, and and not used for uh, for bad? That's going to be the challenge of this decade. What about AI in social media? Like one hour ago, um, Elon Musk became board member of Twitter out of nothing. Uh, after buying 9% of Twitter, which makes him the biggest shareholder, because the next biggest is 8%. So he's now influential part. And he's steering this conversation about the algorithm of Twitter and free speech versus not free speech. What's your take on, on social media and AI? Well, first of all, I thought he was already a board member just from tweeting so much. 
He right? was. I thought that yeah. he was like an honorary board member. Where... <laughs> no, he, he was just irritating yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Look, the question of the 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 question of free speech, right, on social media and platforming versus deplatforming or, or 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 whatnot is actually indeed a thorny one, because as always. Right, as always, you could come, you could, you know, have that reasonable debate of having, of actually sometimes having, you know, arguments in favor of deplatforming that are, um, that are, that are sensible that I might even agree with. But overall, let me just tell you that my overall feel, kind of my overall sense is that um, the solution to you know, bad speech is more speech, right? I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, and like, I didn't come up with that. It was, uh, I think it was in some Supreme Court ruling from the 50s or something that the solution to bad speech is more speech. Um, and I really believe that. I think that we will, the moment we go down the route uh, of trying to kind of engineer uh, limitations of speech, um, I don't like where that leads down the line. And this is maybe partially because of, uh, you know, my kind of um, personal uh, personal feelings. But, but all of this said, I, I'm a huge proponent of free speech. I'm a huge proponent of academic freedom. I think one of the greatest things that humanity has created is a system of institutions where the whole point is that you can come and you can say whatever you want and you don't have to agree with the dogma right in fact if you don't agree with the dogma right that's where you can have make the you're a scientist yeah i mean yeah it's a it's a completely non-intuitive thing right if you imagine like you know being in i don't know the 12th century like being the church in the 12th century and someone come you're coming to them and they'll say we'll have special different kinds of churches which are just dedicated to the pursuit of truth and there you're going to walk in and you're going to disagree with you know the pope and that's going to be the whole point right it's it sounds insane so i really worry about that getting chipped away because i i think it is there is a problem of free speech being weaponized right with what I, we just talked about right with kind of uh, natural language generated misinformation or, or troll farms or whatever but the solution there is not to limit free speech the solution is to eliminate that misinformation how we do it is a is indeed a formidable challenge but you know let's let's keep our soul in the in the process it's funny that you say that language is so powerful and each word creates reality. So this week, my, my, my kids and I, we, we had the famous flu. And so our family, of course, the WhatsApp family group, oh, guys, when are you going to, how are you guys? And when are you going to test yourself free? So the official word, the official mm -hmm. word is you can test yourself free uh, after seven days uh, from infection. And so, right. and I heard this word, I said, I test myself free. I am free. I never was unfree. Just because I'm a virus, right? I'm not unfree. What is this word to be, to test yourself you know, free from the quarantine? <laughs> it was, yeah. 
it's it's funny because you know data is information but but language is personal right and uh this is where it gets to the uh to that overlap where really a test result is data right but the notion of it being you know the boundary between freedom and uh unfreedom right that's that's personal so it's a fascinating thing. I never, I never heard this expression of testing yourself free. Huh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it triggered me. So, and, so um, did you, uh, did you end up testing yourself free? Are you free now? Yeah, I will. I will in a couple of days. I'm still in quarantine okay. right now, but I will as soon as the symptoms are off. We, we obviously are testing every day, but at some point, one of the tests is the official end of quarantine test and they mm. the word they are using is, is you test yourself free which is a, an interesting choice of words and yeah yeah fascinating where do you take your inspiration from what are particular books or podcasts that inspire you oh my gosh you know i i have recently gotten back into reading just like sci-fi at a rate of kind of a book every you know every week or so and so you know sci-fi oftentimes like you know the venn diagram overlap between sci-fi and actual science is like zero right um but i still enjoy it so the i'll tell you what uh, the most recent uh, couple books that i've read that i've really enjoyed is uh, sync one is called sync uh it's by uh, Steven Stragatz. It's uh, it's not so much sci-fi. It's like a book on uh, on quantitative biology and, and kind of the emergence of uh, synchronization and oscillators and biological systems and chemical reactions. I don't know very much about that stuff, but it was extraordinarily well written. Right, uh, really, really fascinating, uh, fascinating stuff. Okay. And, uh, Would we understand you know, it? We we not, not oh, yeah. normal people if we read it. Oh yeah, totally, oh. totally. No, uh, Strogatz has the has the remarkable ability to take you know concepts that are fundamentally mathematical, right, and and explain them in a way where it's just it's just intuitive, right. So there's there's no equations in the in the book, um, but it's really fascinating. The other one that is a classic that I just finished reading is a book called, called Chaos by James Glick. Um, it's, it's about the kind of early history of the emergence of chaos theory. And um, this was really, really, uh, you know, a fantastic exercise to read through it because uh, I knew some of the stuff that was in there, but I, I did not, uh, there was definitely uh, kind of, Twists and turns that uh, that I didn't uh, that I completely was not aware of. So I, I recommend that one too. And I just started reading Dune, you know. Dune. Because, wow. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the movie, uh, so Ooh. don't tell don't tell me about anything that happens in there. But I've uh, Dune is so far so far so good. <laughs> I saw. I I didn't watch the movie, but I bought it immediately after I saw on YouTube. And that's actually wonderful. Hans Zimmer uh, with the, the music of Dune, which is in itself an artwork, a complete art mm -hmm. 
piece, yeah. just the music. And so there was the band and in the background um, some scenes from the music. And that alone touched me so deeply that I went immediately by the movie. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to watching the movie, but, but I got to read through the book first. Definitely. And I just bought both audio versions of the first two books that you mentioned. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Oh, yeah. You'll, yes. you'll enjoy them. You'll enjoy them. Both are, uh, are, are fantastic you know, works of communication. I, I really appreciate when people are able to take mathematical things and explain them in a way that you know the lay person understands because um you know my one of my mentors my graduate advisor used to tell me that if you cannot explain what you did to somebody on the street that means you don't understand it right if you have to go to the whole like mathematical framework and start writing equations you can't just explain it simply you don't you haven't thought about it enough and and i think that's a um, you know that's the wise lesson you know <laughs> I love it. And um, where do you hang out? Konstantin Batigin, everybody. If you want to find him, where do people find you? Uh, you know, on the streets, on the streets of Pasadena, northern Los Angeles. Just uh, <laughs> look, I uh, as far as my social media footprint, like I have a Twitter account, I have a Facebook account, but I have. I'll be honest, I have been staying off of social media uh, ever since the invasion of Ukraine, uh, both in the in interest of, of trying to stay, stay sane uh, and also I've been kind of trying to help, you know, the individuals that I, uh, that I uh, have connections with that are in Ukraine and, and I feel like that's, that's the impact that, that I can make, right? I'm not sure that, you know, like... Posting on social media is all good and all, but like it's a, it's a, it's one of these things that you know rarely uh, lives up to the full potential of what one can do. So uh, I'll, I'll probably get back to it, but but I have not been active uh, on social media in the last. Where month. can they find your work, your music? Ah, okay. So our my, if you go to ConstantineBatigan.com, right. Uh, there's a link to my band. My band is the Seven Season dot band. Uh, there are uh, there's a link to all my publications there. So if you're interested in reading, you know both the technical stuff and also I, I very occasionally will write uh, kind of uh, popular uh, level science stuff. So so there's some stuff uh, on there as well. Um, yeah, but but mostly on the streets of Pasadena. That's where you. That's where you. Uh, that's where I hang out. Thank you so much, Constantine Batigin, everybody. And who should be my next guest? Oof, really, really good question. You know, I w I think it's it's narcissistic to nominate Olga, uh, my wife, as the CEO. So I will instead nominate Daniel Kleinman. Okay, Daniel Kleinman uh, started something called Explorer One. Okay, it's a it's a fund that invests in break in kind of like cutting edge technologies in the space uh, in the emergence like space economy, and there there are a lot of funds doing this, but I like them the best because they are um, 
you know, they are extraordinarily technical in the way that they approach their their investments. They they really their due diligence does not consist of you know, oh, should I look at this and that doesn't make sense. It's like it's getting deep into the weeds. So I, I have a lot of respect. So uh, Daniel Kleiman would be a good one. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for being here, sharing your knowledge, your inspiration, your energy with us. Please keep rolling, Konstantin. Thank you so much, Simon. It was fun. Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. What if your business would run well even when you are on vacation? Discover how 1,600 business owners have regained their freedom using the Strategy Sprints blueprints how they enjoy living their dream and watching their business scale. Get the exact checklists they use to go from stressed to fulfilled using the Strategy Sprints method. Order your copy of Strategy Sprints 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business on Amazon today. And if you love it, leave us a review. For more information, head over to strategiesprints.com.